Hi everyone. Welcome back to this mini series on a topic that will be helpful to many of you. I am hoping temper tantrum. If you are a parent of a child between the ages of one and four, then I know that you will find at least some little nuggets in here that are helpful. But even if you are not that parent, I hope that something in this series will be helpful in some way, whether that means it's helpful handling your own big emotions when they come up or with someone else's big emotion. I have been thinking that I want to actually add one more episode into this series. Originally, I said three. Handling a tantrum in the moment that it happens, that's episode one. Preventing tantrums before they happen, episode two. And big emotions in adults, episode three. But another topic has come up, and I have been having some conversations with professional infant teachers, and it's about babies. Most of what I talked about last week in the first episode talks about toddlers or preschool age children having a tantrum. But let's talk about babies for one second. They also can have some big feelings, and one of the major milestones, or actually jobs, of an infant during this period of their life is to learn how to self-soothe. Babies right now, born after the pandemic, seem to generally have a much more difficult with this than babies in the past to have. There is a lot to unpack in that. So I am going to add one more episode to address helping infants to self-soothe. Okay, let's dive in to today's topic. And I'm really excited about this because I think that learning how to be preventative is what's going to be the most helpful thing that some of you can take away from this whole series. So let's begin. In order to be preventative with your child, and let's just talk to individual parents, and you can alter the information, of course, in whatever way is helpful to you if you are not a parent to a young child. But for sake of simplicity, let's just say that you are going to use this information with one particular child. So to be preventative, you are going to know and understand your child so that you can use the techniques that apply to their particular triggers. So let's make step one, know the child. When I say know the child, I mean their temperament, their daily routine, and the skills that they have that they are working on, and that they are missing. We already talked about the fact that children have temper tantrums because they are missing a skill. So it's important to know what skill a child would be missing or that they are working on in a particular situation. I'll give you an example. You take your child over to a friend's house who has another child that age. Your child is an only child. It is helpful to be aware of the fact that if the other child takes away a toy or hits your child, which are very typical behaviors of one and two-year-olds, that your child is not in this situation generally at any other time. If they are an only child and they're not around other children in their regular daily routine, it's safe to say That if something like this happens, your child might be missing the skill of knowing what to do. Other than missing skills, you also want to know your child's typical so that you can predict when your child will be hungry, tired, or just wanting some attention. That's step one. Step two is going to be to make sure that you offer your child 
what I am going to call the combo on the daily regular. This combo is made up of the things that are going to be helpful for your child to be to receiving from adults so that they can feel safe, feel loved, so that they can be in that executive state we talked about last week as much as possible so that they are in a state to learn new things. The combo is attention, respect, and affection. And then I'm going to add another little extra that can be helpful. Humor, fun, playfulness. The reason that this is preventative is that a child who is spending majority of their time trying to get your attention, who not always respected, and I will explain a little bit more what I mean by that and who is trying to earn your affection is going to spend a lot of time in that emotionals and trying to figure out what it is they have to do to get attention. They are not only going to try cute little things that you want to give your attention. Children have a way of figuring out what gets your attention very quickly, even if it's negative attention, such as doing something that makes you angry or doing something that is dangerous. Negative attention to a child is still attention when they feel like they are not getting the attention that they need. And let's be honest, there is something that babies are competing with now in the world that babies years ago were not, and it's our phones. Yes, before we had radio, telephones, other adults you might get together with or be talking with before we had cell phones. Cell phones have a way of capturing our attention in just a much more addictive way. You know what I'm talking about. It's so easy for us to get lost in our phone or to maybe scroll through social media and lose. We've all been there where we sat down and picked up our phone for one minute and then suddenly you realize that half an hour went by and you're still in it. It's so easy to get absorbed into that other world and to miss maybe some that someone else is wanting your focus. Now, what I mean by respect is a little harder to explain, but respect is exactly the right word that I mean. So I mean honoring what your baby wants. Now, that is very, very different from always giving your baby what he wants. You can respect what your baby wants and still say no. You want to take this toy home from school because I love this car and it will be here tomorrow when we come back. That's an example of how you can respect that baby's wishes, keep playing with the car, but you also don't give in to what they want versus if you said, no, we don't take toys home from school. That is not nice. Put that down, which assumes that your baby has bad intention. So the combo things are attention, respect, and affection. But add in some humor, some fun, some playfulness, and that will help your child feel worthy, seen, confident. And the humor and the fun part can help a child not take themselves or life so seriously and be allowed to just make mistakes as they learn. Step three is going to be boundaries. Your child is going to be much less likely to lose it or blow up tantrum style if they have learned some boundaries. Now, of course, all children have some boundaries. So if you're feeling like you don't have boundaries or you haven't taught your child boundaries, look for the things that you have done because we all have some 
that you institute regularly, but maybe you don't give yourself credit for. For example, does your child have to sit in a car seat when you drive in the car? If you never ever drive the car without your child in a car seat, they do have a bound. You do have some. You just may feel like maybe you don't have a lot in your life right now, but think about the ones that you have really instituted. Let's take that example of taking the little toy car home from school. What I see happen much more often, instead of the parent who doesn't use respect for the child in that situation, what happens more often is the parent who gives their child lots of respect, but they don't give themselves the same respect. So they do not enforce a boundary. So what this looks like is a parent who might spend five or 10 minutes trying to convince a child, please put down the car. They want to respect the child, so they don't want to take the car out of the child's hand. But now you're not respecting your own time, and you're letting the child control the situation with whether or not the child wants to comply. So a boundary is what would be appropriate in that situation. You want to take this toy home from school because you love this car, and it will be here tomorrow when we come back. Now, when the child does not choose to give up the toy, as we all know, probably in most circumstances, they won't, then a boundary needs to be put in place and it would look like this. You may give the car to Miss Lori and she will keep it safe until tomorrow. Or mommy is going to give the car to Miss Lori. Your choice. You must give two choices that you are willing to do. In this case, if your child does not choose A, which they most likely won't, then mommy takes the car out of the child's hands and gives it to Miss Lori, and that is that. Now, your words are important. Remember, you are respecting your child. You're respecting the school's rules, and you're respecting your own time and the need to leave and go home. So you can just treat this as, I told you A or B, and you chose B. That's it. So I would say something like, you are showing me that you are choosing for mommy to give the car to Miss Lori. Then take the car and say, here you go, Miss Lori. You can keep it safe until tomorrow. Good night. There really doesn't be any conversation about how you think that your child made a bad choice. They just chose one of the two options by physically not doing A. That's them actually choosing B. And that's okay. Either option is totally okay. Now, I know what you are probably thinking. This is an episode about preventing temper tantrums. And what I just described probably sounds like a surefire way to start a tantrum or to invite a tantrum. But I want you to remember that we are teaching children skills here. And learning boundaries is something that your child will learn by having these opportunities over and over and over again so that they know that when you give two choices, that one of those choices are absolutely going to happen and they can freely choose which one it will be. Either choice is okay, but that you are not going to give in to choice C. Choice C is the other choice that they want, that they can't have, and they are always going to want choice C. That is why I want to teach you one more thing, because when you offer 
peanut butter sandwich or a tuna sandwich, you know that they always want the piece of cake. Children have to learn that your choices, A or B, mean that they can't have C. And when you give in to C, you teach a child a few things, not to respect your choices, but also more importantly, that their reaction scare you. It scares you enough that you don't hold your ground and respect yourself and you give in to what they want, missing that opportunity to teach them how boundaries work. Giving in teaches them not just that they can always have anything that they want, but more importantly, that when they show their big feelings, that those feelings in fact are scary. We want to make sure that we don't teach that to children. So what I want to teach that you can put into place is the A, B, but not C choice. The more your child has the opportunity to learn this, it will be easier for them to learn boundaries. So it sounds like you may share the blocks or you may play with the blocks alone over here, but you may not take the blocks away from Sam. You may have peanut butter or you may have tuna fish, but you may not have the cake. If you want to help a child with a more difficult choice or a choice that comes up a lot, you can show them this rule with pictures. Just make it on a piece of paper, a visual rule with three pictures on it. You may lay down for a nap and close your eyes, and then you would put a picture on the paper of your child laying in their bed, or you may lay down and look at a book and put a picture on that paper of them reading a book. But you may not get up right now, and you're going to put a picture of them getting up off the bed or walking around and put a big X over it, showing that that is not a choice. Then every time that it is nap time, you pull out that piece of paper, that visual rule card, and you read it and go over the choices. They get to choose A or B, but not C. And I do want to just throw in here that as your child really learns, really gets to this, in the future, way down the road, when they totally have learned boundaries, you might also allow some C choices that they come up with that will achieve the same goal. Not right now while you're first team, but once they learn it, if you tell them, we're going to hop to the door like a bunny or slither to the door like a snake, but you may not run to And let's say they come up with, they are going to hop to the door like a frog. Now that's, it's not C, it's not the running that you said they can't have. It's an alternative to A and B, but it achieves the same goal. So that's down the road where you may let them cut own acceptable choice. But right now, just to teach them initially, it's going to be A or B and not C. So that step is super helpful because it allows you to give a child choices whenever you can. So you might use it when you didn't realize that you were going to give a child a choice, but they let you know that they want something that they can't. So let's say you're in a grocery store and they want the fruit snacks that we were talking about last week, but you don't want your child to have fruit snacks. So that becomes the C and then you can quickly come up with an A and a B on the spot. Like we said in the last episode, them asking for fruit snacks comes a choice when you say, you can't have fruit snacks, but we can get bananas or grapes. If your child is refusing to walk with you some, you can give a choice. You can hold my hand or I can pick you up. You can't lay on the ground right now. And let them choose either. Either one is okay. 
So if they don't choose to hold your hand, don't be angry when you pick them up. That was one of the choices. So it's perfectly okay if they choose that option and they might not verbally pick that option. They just show you by not picking the first option. We're almost done here, but I still have just a couple more. Step four is going to be to have realistic expectations. I could probably spend a lot of time giving examples here, but basically you want to expect that a one-year-old is going to act like a one-year-old and not have expectations of them to act like a two-year-old or a three-year-old. So if you taught your child to share a toy with another child, they might choose to share sometimes and they might choose not to share at other times. They are also learning about sharing by learning what is theirs. And expecting a child to always give something up would not be an appropriate expectation. Not only is it not always going to happen, we also probably don't want to teach a child always give up whatever it is that they have to other people and not consider themselves at all. So keeping expectations realistic will help us to honor the fact that children are always learning and the goal is not for them to always make the right choice or always do the right thing. Step five is going to be to make sure that there is a balance of activities. This means between active and restful, between play and time to sleep, between noisy and quiet activities. We get stressed when our limits push with too much of any one thing, whether it's too much activity or even too much quiet and rest. Step six, finally, is to separate out your child and their choices and you. Very often, we feel like our child who might be starting to throw a fit in the store is very much a reflection of us as a parent that it's somehow showing our failure to be able to control this child's choices to other people. So it is really helpful to remind ourselves that being a good parent is made up of so many, many things that we do. And one of those things that we do is to handle the challenging moment. We are not failing because the challenging moments are there. They are there because a child is still learning how to man themselves. And at the same time, we are learning how to best handle those moments in a way that makes them easier. And so in that moment in the store, when your child starts throwing a tantrum, focus on yourself and how you are going to respond that is the most helpful. Trying to guess what other people are thinking will not help, especially when a lot of other people might be empathizing with and remembering their own challenging parenting moment. And you are just assuming that they are all thinking you are a terrible parent to let your child have a tantrum. Okay, so let's recap. Step one, know your child. Step two, offer the combo. Attention, respect, affection, humor, and fun. Step three, boundaries and offer choices. You can have A or B, but not C. And you teach the boundaries by never, ever giving in to see. Step four, have realistic expectations. Step five, have a balance of activities. Step six, separate your child's actions from being a reflection. And that's it for today. I know that I could probably give you more on this, but I think that this is a really good foundation for trying to tantrum-proof as much as you can ahead of time. 
With that said, this is not a foolproof plan. There are going to be times when your child just wants to have choice C so badly and they're a little extra tired that it's just going to be a tantrum. And that's where those appropriate expectations come in. And you'll just go to what we covered in the last episode and handle the tantrum. And know that every time that it's handled calmly, it's another step towards not having more tantrums because the child is learning that the tantrums don't scare you. Those big emotions don't scare you and that their tantrums don't work and they are learning how to calm themselves. But here is a thank you, all of you parents out there who are teaching your children these skills. You are helping them to grow up to be adults who can handle their emotions and who can, in turn, be able to someday teach their children how to do the same. So let me know if this helps in any way. And please share this episode with your friends who are parents or teachers or grandparents. I'll see you next time. Have a great week.